0: taking AI to earth's outer limits. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Bren Briggs, vice president of development security and operations at Hypergiant. Welcome, Bren.
1: Hey, it's good to be here.
0: So what does Hypergiant do and what do you do in your role there?
1: So Hypergiant is an AI and machine learning company. And uh, we are, involved in a number of industries. Uh, specifically, like we, we really like to get involved in, in critical industry uh, and defense and uh, in aerospace where we feel like machine learning and AI can have a huge impact. And so uh, historically within our company, we developed custom solutions for uh, companies that had data problems or, or really wanted to explore uh, how AI and ML could potentially help their company. Now we're developing a product to make this a lot easier where your data science team can develop and ship machine learning models. And so my role here is uh, is part architect and uh, part, you know, wearing the hats of uh, DevOps and security and things like that where, uh, you know, we develop these custom solutions and I'm, I'm responsible for designing the infrastructure that meets their needs and doing so in a safe and secure way and, and doing the same thing for our product and platform as well.
0: Explain the Satellite One and Edge One missions and how they'll bring artificial intelligence to the Earth's outer limits.
1: Sure. So uh, about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, um, we're we were working with a, a guy named, in the Air Force named Rob Slaughter, and um, Rob was working to start this uh, DevSecOps initiative within the DoD. And uh, you know, he had started to make some headway on it. And one of the very first things that he wanted to do was uh, like really start pushing the limits of where we could apply DevOps and. His idea was let's do DevSecOps on a satellite, and the reason he reached out to us specifically was because we were already building a satellite for the Air Force with Rob and with SuSA RGS, where uh, we were we were doing some new imaging technology, and we were we actually had some AI and ML on board uh, that satellite. And so he's like, hey, you're already doing like 90% of this. Let's let's really just let's use this new uh, kind of you know, project that, we're, that we've just stood up with the Air Force called Platform One. We're like, yeah, fantastic, let's do this. And so that's when the side project of Satellite One sort of kicked off and it was us thinking, all right, how do the principles of DevSecOps and continuous updates and security integration, how does all that apply when you're on orbit? And the answer is, I mean, you can do it. It's, you, just, you have to be really, really safe and deliberate about a lot of the things that you do. And this, so that was the origin of, you know, DevSecOps on the edge in, in the Department of Defense, and that eventually became EdgeOne, where we sort of just started, we, we actually got contracted to do this again, but for forward deployed locations that had uh, difficult reach back or difficult environmental conditions. So maybe uh, a command and control unit uh, that's just arrived on the field or first responders, or uh, you know, people uh, going into natural disasters or things like that, they need to be able to communicate and, and have reach back. And we're wondering, how do we apply this? How we apply the principles of DevSecOps there? And so that's that's the origin, that's Sat that one, and then that's Edge one to, to kind of put a bow on things.
0: So you mentioned SUSE. Explain the partnership with SUSE and the role they play in these efforts.
1: So, Susa has a group called RGS Rancher Government Solutions, and they're sort of the the experts both on the rancher suite of products and uh, and, and how they work, and, and obviously a direct engineering line, but also on on DevOps and how technology. Uh, development and acquisition and management works within the government. And they've been really great agents of change, bringing in uh, DevOps practices. I know in the 2010s, like when DevOps really first got started for a couple of years, all that everybody talked about, all anybody talked about was the DevOps journey, the DevOps culture change. And uh, the, the government in 2021 has made it to where everybody else was in 2011. So, you know, good on them for only being 10 years behind the technology curve that they're really catching up. Like I'm not even being sarcastic, they're legitimately catching up and it's it's fantastic. So now we're doing this DevOps culture change and RGS is there and they actually have some embedded resources on platform one. One of those was this guy, Chris Newber, And so Chris was sort of like the the, the head architect for um, Satellite One and, and he, he helped us out quite a bit on, the um, I think it was gave me wide which was the project that kind of led into to satellite one, and then uh, he was a, a great um resource helping us really get started with edge one as well. So he dedicated a lot of time to us there when that project first kicked off, all the way up until the big ABMS on ramp four that we had in February of this year.
0: How did you decide to go with Kubernetes, specifically K3S, and in the process? How is the SUSE RGS team able to help share your goals?
1: Uh, funny enough, um, I actually lobbied against Kubernetes to start with for this project. I don't know if that'll get me removed from, uh, from platform one or not, but I actually did argue against Kubernetes initially because I saw it as, as having uh, too many moving parts. There was a lot that could go wrong, it was it was really high in complexity. And um, I was I was just really worried about putting that on orbit. Like I break my control plane all the time here on Earth, just doing normal things. Let alone putting something in space and having like intermittent communication to it. It, was, it just seemed like the worst idea ever to me. And so I had to be convinced. And so I lobbied actually for using Erlang and OTP, which is what telcos have used for a very long time. Uh, that's how they get those rock solid five nines. And it's a, it, I think it's a really good design pattern or a really good like technology and design pattern. So I, I, I argued against Kubernetes at first and I made them convince me that we should put this on a satellite. And half the like half the argument was like YOLO, let's just do it and see what happens. Uh, that doesn't convince me, but it is fun. So what we ended up doing was spending a couple of weeks working on just this, Architecture and design, where we were, where everybody presented multiple solutions and, and kind of put together multiple ideas on how we're going to do an HA pattern with uh, with two um, Kubernetes control planes side by side, and then and switching between them for failover. Uh, so we actually, I was like, okay, this is this 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 HA thing is fantastic, but we need something. It's like a little more stable. And so that's when Chris, the, the, the RGS guy, is suggesting you know a rancher product. I'm like, okay, well, really, let's let's dig in this a little deeper. Uh, no, it, it it was it turned out to be fantastic. So K3S is just a single binary, it's very small footprint. Uh, it's got really, really great defaults and minimal configuration out of the box. It works really, really well. And uh, those moving parts that I was so worried about really got kind of abstracted away and to where you can you can think of K3S not really as a whole Kubernetes with all these different like services and, and, and stuff running inside. It's really, well, the way they've done it, they've bundled everything together, but it's really just one binary. And so there's a lot less that breaks and goes wrong. So it's, it's really fantastic for what we were doing, which was we just wanted one binary that would schedule all of our containers or, or jobs or whatever that we were doing. So they did convince me uh, first to use Kubernetes and then to use K3S. And so that's what sold us was just how small it was and, and lightweight for what we were
0: doing. Talk about how you use machine learning and AI software in orbit. What, what problems do you seek to solve?
1: Yeah, so we did this uh, a little bit with the WIDAR project, which um, can't really share a lot of the details on that here. Uh, but one of the, the use cases that we talked about a lot that I feel like is is kind of universal for everybody to understand and see how we are applying it like you can really easily extrapolate to other use cases once you understand this uh, so we talked a lot about uh, almost like a almost like developing a persona or something of this mission of like the wildfire how are we going to know like like get really great situational awareness on what's happening in a wildfire because at the time, there were I, several that were just, you know, uncontrolled in, uh, out in, in the Western United States. And so we're thinking like, okay, well, how do we get, first of all, better imaging? So, you know, you, let, let's say you fly a drone, you, you, know, you get like a high altitude drone or something, you fly this drone over uh, the wildfire, you get a lot of great images, you have really high detail. Uh, maybe you can see in multiple spectra or something like that. That's, first of all, a lot of data. Right. And to analyze and process this, you need to have those pictures, which means you need to transmit it. And that's not always uh, a, a thing you can do, right? Let's, you know, if you have a gig of images, how fast can you get them back down to earth for them to be processed and analyzed by a human? Sometimes that's really difficult. And so in order to make uh, really high quality decisions that, that require lots of data, you know, once, once you collect it, you have to process it somewhere. We have found that when you have a lot of data and not a lot of bandwidth, that's like the perfect use case for AI and ML on the edge. You don't actually need all the data, you need the decision. And so what we're doing is, in this in this, uh, in this, this example, in this use case, is we're taking a lot of, of images uh, and getting a lot of data about the situation and we're using... Uh, computer vision models that we have already trained in order to identify problem areas, you know, this like, like, you know, immediately start forwarding things that are very, very small in nature and high in impact. So, for instance, like we're forwarding areas of interest and then we're maybe attaching the segment of the picture uh, or the data that is relevant here. So, maybe we say, hey, listen, over at, uh, at these coordinates, you have a fire break that, that is failing and then you forward that image, you forward uh, the details and you forward maybe a recommendation or something. So now instead of transferring gigs of images and data, you're transferring only the most essential things and you're prioritizing those things ahead of everything else in your transmission. And so when you understand that use case, you can very quickly extrapolate it to any number of scenarios that require that sort of real time processing and decision-making at the edge to decide what to do next.
0: What challenges does the harsh environment of space present to this level of computing?
1: Um, so you're like, I feel like temperature is, is probably the very first one, uh, but power is the biggest one for us. Uh, it, you have very, very limited low power on these devices. And it's such that you can, you can literally just do one thing at a time. You can take a picture you can transmit, you can receive, that's about it. Like you can, you, you know, you can, you know, uh, flip the, the, to a different attitude or something like that, but like you can really only do one thing at a time. And so uh, playing the power budget game was really, really interesting when it came to high availability and when it came to, uh, you know, taking, um, for instance, we could take pictures or we could process them. We couldn't do both at the same time because of just the power constraints. And you know, when you're carrying basically a miniature GPU on a satellite that's already starved for power, it's really tough. Uh, the other thing that we discovered was that uh, the government is tough. It's it's probably harsher than any of the conditions in space. It's just a logistical nightmare to get anything done, especially when you're trying to go to space. And so that's, uh, you know, when we launched wide and, and we operated that and then when we're developing the second satellite to follow it up it was just one government hoop after another and sometimes the, the you know the things they want to know and the questions they they ask even for super high tech organizations they don't fit what you're doing and they don't fit some of the like the like the questions and challenges they're built to handle haven't kept up with technology partially because it's the government and it's a large, slow bureaucracy, largely because technology just moves so fast that even the people uh, you know, at the very edge and the very forefront of technology, they can't even keep up with everything else that's going on. So yeah, <laughs> the hardest thing about space might just be the government and not space itself.
0: So that said then, what are the next steps for this technology?
1: So we have formed the edge working group uh, within platform one and we are exploring all of the different applications and ways that we're going to use edge devices. And one of the very first things that we realized and we did was we split our notion within platform one, our notion of edge into three categories. We have the tiny edge, the near edge, and the far edge. And these, uh, the, the, what qualifies them is effectively uh, the, the amount of resources that you have on hand how easy it is to get to if you need to do maintenance and what sort of workloads you're going to be running and, and how frequent the reach back is going to be. So in the tiny edge, this is kind of what most people think of when they think of edge, which is a really, really tiny device running on something uh, that questionably, probably arguably never should have run a, been a smart device to begin with, right? So like your refrigerator or something like that. That might be tiny edge. So ARM CPUs or maybe even special purpose things like that. Then uh, next we would have near edge. And so near edge would be uh, typically a terrestrial thing, but they would have much more compute capability, potentially even we're talking about a remote semi-portable data center. So something like uh, combat communications troops in the military might carry with them or a vessel, a Navy vessel that's underway. So they have large compute. People are on hand to do maintenance, but reach back might be infrequent or there may be nobody on location, but it's easy to get to. So that's kind of the near edge. And then the far edge uh, is like tiny edge, but impossible to get to if it breaks. And so that would be a satellite. And so we have divided the the edge working group into these three subcategories. And Hypergiant is very specifically, we have a project right now on the near edge called Edge One. And then uh, we're looking into ways to, revive and advance the research that we did with satellite one uh, with a couple of new projects that are coming up. And fingers crossed, we'll be talking about them soon uh, with you.
0: Yeah. Hey, welcome back. I'll I'll definitely have you back to talk about that. Bren Briggs, vice president of DevSecOps at Hypergiant. If somebody wants to connect with you, Bren, uh, what's the best way they can do that?
1: Uh, Twitter. I'm on Twitter way too much. Uh, You can follow me at zero x f r a q um so drop me a follow i'll follow back and uh yeah that's that's the best place to reach me and i also have open dms i hope i don't regret saying that but uh yeah you can hit me up there
0: you just might brand thanks for joining us
1: okay right. thanks have a great day
0: of course And find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on all the major podcast platforms under the Tanya Hall Innovation Show and or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.